0: Greetings, my intergalactic family. My name's Ricky, and welcome to Ricky's Mysteries and the Supernatural podcast. We'll talk about everything from UFOs to ancient megalithic sites to Bigfoot and the supernatural. We're going to talk about all of it on this podcast. Now, let's all hop on the tic tac and let's take a ride down this interdimensional wormhole. Greetings, cosmic creatures, and welcome back to another episode of Ricky's Mysteries and the Supernatural podcast. Today, I have a very special treat for you. We have Earl Gray Anderson on the show, and he's MUFONS, a.k.a. the Mutual UFO Network's State Director of Southern California. He's also an executive member of MUFONS Experiencer Resource Team, and he hosted both of the Experiencer Workshops at last year's MUFON Symposium in Denver. He'll also do the same events at this year's MUFON Symposium in Cincinnati, Ohio in August. So Earl has personally investigated over 900, you heard it right, 900 UFO reports, and he specializes in the experiencer and high strangeness cases. He's appeared on many different radio shows and podcasts and TV shows, some of which you may know, such as Ancient Aliens. He's been on Unidentified with Demi Lovato. He's been on the Travel Channel's Storming Area 51 special, and he was on the season finale of Motor Trend Television's Motor Mythbusters, Cars vs. UFOs. Earl also teaches an accredited course in ufology called UFOs and Other Worlds at Los Angeles' Otis College of Art and Design. He's a native of Southern California, and he's also a published singer, songwriter, and guitarist with three CDs under his belt. Earl's quite the family man, and he has a cat named Thor, and Thor happens to be one very cool cat. So it's with great pleasure that I welcome Earl Grey Anderson to Ricky's Mysteries. Hi
1: there, Ricky. How you doing?
0: I'm doing well. Thanks for being on the show today.
1: Uh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure.
0: I'd like to start out by asking you what you've learned from being an investigator over the years and what it means now as being the chief investigator and as the now director of MUFON in Southern California.
1: Thanks. Thanks so much, Ricky. Um, it, it's so meaningful to me, and, and, and I've, I've learned, uh, I, I believe I've learned a lot over the last uh, eight years or so that I've gone hands-on with a phenomenon. Um, when I started out, you know, I've known that this was a real thing since I was a child. Uh, my mom uh, herself, uh, her, her name was Betty Grace Maiden, was her maiden name. Which is always interesting, you know. You're talking to the IRS or somebody. They go, oh, "Your mother's maiden name?" I go maiden. It's like that Abbott and Costello routine, you know, who's on first, right? And, and, and but it always causes people to laugh. But that was her name, and she had worked for Howard Hughes, Hughes Aircraft, the uh, the Sepulveda Boulevard facility here in Southern California uh, back in the 1950s. Uh, she was working there in fact, up until, uh, the week before I was born, uh, which was 1958. And, uh, you know, the way that this all started out for me was when I was five years old, uh, I I went into our little breakfast nook, you know, it was painted this cheery yellow color in Southern California. So I remember the sun coming through the window and, just kind of a beautiful Clement day and 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 you know I was gonna go out and play, you know, Cowboys and Indians or something like we used to do, you know, before everybody was playing video games and stuff. Um so I sat down for breakfast and mom started talking to me, but it was weird. She was talking to me like she was talking to another grown up. And she Started telling me about how she worked in this deep underground base in the middle of the desert. Uh, this was back like 1955 or so, and she was just very matter of fact about it. She was she wasn't talking down to me, and I think that you know she had to sign some non disclosure agreements, and, and that she couldn't talk about this to, to anybody. And she thought that I was the safe person. I was five. Um, later on, she said, how do you remember this stuff, Earl? You were only a baby, but I have a good memory, you know, which has helped me in my investigations of, of this strange phenomena later on here. But she talked about having been, uh, flown out to the great American desert with a little security detail and that they took her to this bunker in the middle of nowhere. And she said that they didn't really give her any preamble of what to expect or, or where she was even going. They just took her there. And uh, so there was this sort of low-slung concrete bunker. Uh, that She said that she wondered why these guys took her all the way to the desert to look at a tool shed. Or, you know, it looked like you'd park tractors or something in there. But they opened it up, and there was only one thing in there. There was an elevator. And, uh, of course, this elevator only went down. I mean, there wasn't a second floor to this so she got into the elevator with a couple of security guys, and she thought maybe it would go down a couple floors and and it would be, you know, a a lab or who knows what. She was confused. Um, Well, the elevator kept going down. And the way she described it, I remember she said it was scary. I had butterflies in my stomach. Wow. It might have been the first time I ever heard that phrase. You know, I was just like a little kid, kindergarten age. She said that the doors of the elevator opened up and there was a little city down there. She said that uh, they got around in golf carts. There were lots of scientists, German rocket scientists. I mean, she mentioned people like Werder von Braun. Wow. Uh, And uh, I know. (laughs) I mean. And, and, yeah. Wow. That was my mom. And she said that they had, uh, like, little cafes and stuff, a movie theater, bowling alley. That they had a barber shop but there were the the barber there could actually do her hair for her So apparently she spent some time down there um and and she she made a joke about the the one cafe she said you know they had a little cafe that had umbrellas over the tables and i thought it was so funny because you don't need an umbrella in the cave <laughs> yeah. but i i my my feeling is they were probably trying to make people feel comfortable down there you know uh, otherwise you're gonna you're gonna wind up you know just feeling the solitude is going to be coming in on you and and uh, so they they tried to make it as normal as possible so she talked about that and then she mentioned that ufos were real and and in that same conversation uh, you know the the conversation went to space people right because This is a weird thing. When I was a little kid, it seems like I I really, maybe it was synchronicity. uh, Maybe I was just, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what it was, but I always seemed to be obsessed with outer space. And uh, I would climb up the top of the swing set my dad had uh, He was sort of a, a carpenter type, and he built this wooden swing set with monkey bars. And I'd climb up there, and I would sing and wave at the sky. And Mama asked me once, she, and she brought this back up to me, too. She said, who are you singing and waving to, Earl? And I told her, I said, the space people, Mom. I'm singing, and I'm waving to the space people. Um, so maybe that's why she actually brought up the fact that we weren't alone. I, I You know, I mean, it's so strange, you know. Right. She's talking to a little five-year-old. The stuff that she's not supposed to talk about. And uh, anyway, that's 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 kind of, you know, the flashpoint of of my interest in this phenomenon. And I I carried that around with me through my life. And when my mom passed away in 1999, uh, up until that point, there was always a possibility that she might tell me a bit more. You know, I've got little details here and there over the years, but um, she started working later on in her life, like the mid-70s on, until she passed away uh, as a headhunter for the aerospace companies uh, out here in Southern California. So, you know, she was like, you know, getting everybody from the broom pushers up to the astrophysicists uh, hired into places like the Rockwell Science Center, Northrop, uh, Oh, you know, you, 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 all all the companies. Yeah. And that, that's what she was doing. And I, and so especially from 1975 on my mom kind of clammed up uh, because I think that again, she was being very consciously aware of of her non-disclosure agreements and, uh, But when she died, there was no more of a chance that I might get that golden ticket, that she might spill, you know, and tell me the whole story. Right. Um, On her deathbed, she confirmed that it was true. Uh, She even confirmed it to a friend of mine who's a skeptic. (laughs) You know, I kind of told him a little bit about her story, and he didn't believe me. And so I took him into the living room. My mom was dying of cancer at the time. And so she had, you know, the living room was kind of set up like a hospital room. And, but she pulled her glasses down onto, onto the tip of her nose and, and looked up at him and said, well, how do you think that we hide our secrets? Of course, we have underground bases and everybody else has them. And we've had them since, the, you know, the 1940s, and maybe earlier in that. So, you know, why is that so hard for you to believe what my son told you? Um, yeah, well, he, he told you the truth. So I mean, thank God, you know, that's that, that old friend of mine, he's still out there, he's still a skeptic. I mean, I you know, it makes him very uncomfortable to talk about this subject. But at least he had that confirmation from my mom. When she died, I, I it was up to me, you know. I, I I really wanted to follow the breadcrumbs and figure out what she was doing and and uh, and that's what set me on my course with Mufon. I, I joined Mufon about 2015, I became a field investigator. Early 2016, and uh, it's my passion. I took to it like a fish to water, and yeah, I mean, here I am. I'm I'm going to turn 65 in a couple of weeks, and here I am. I'm still singing and waving to the space people. Yeah, so that's that's where it began, Ricky.
0: <laughs> that's that's absolutely fascinating. I mean, having that background now. Let me ask you kind of an odd question. I don't know if you had siblings or not, but what did, did your father or your siblings have anything to say about it, or did they know?
1: My father was a very religious man, but he was a, a true Christian. I mean, he, he, was like a, he followed the golden rule in his life, as, as I try to do as well. But the subject made him very uncomfortable. I, I don't think that he had room for aliens in his pantheon. You know, right. so he would kind of he would laugh nervously when mom would talk about this stuff and, and he would walk out of the room. I I do have a sister. Uh, and sadly, we've we've never been that close. But I found out after my mom passed away, um, I think it was or no, it was at my uncle's funeral when my when when my mom's brother passed away about 10, 12 years ago. Um, I asked my sister, you know, so did mom ever talk to you about the the little city under the desert and all that stuff? And she, she had no idea. She, she didn't know about it. So I think my mom felt like she made a mistake when she told me she didn't think that I would remember it. I mean, she told me that, I mean, I I gave a show and tell in fourth grade from my classroom and I told them about what my mom did and uh, the teacher but, you know, she she scheduled a parent teacher conference with my mom and, and my mom had to tell her, oh, my son has a kind of a wild imagination. I'm sorry. And I got the lecture in the car when she drove us home. She said, Earl, she said, I don't blame you. I never told you you couldn't talk about this because, for God's sake, I didn't think that you would even remember it. And then she looked at me and she said, how do you remember that? You were just a baby. And, you know, and then she turned around. She was driving, you know, but she was visibly upset. Wow. And she told me, uh, you know, son, people don't know about little cities under the desert. They don't know about UFOs, and they don't know about, you know, aliens. And you can't talk about this ever again. Um, I wasn't supposed to tell anybody, but I thought you would forget. I thought you were that young. She said you can't talk about it because your mom could actually go to prison if you do." Wow. And, uh, yeah, that she's gone now, so I'm not worried about her going to prison. You know, can't do anything to her. And I, didn't, I never signed anything, so, right. you know, I'm just being honest about what I know and what she told me. And so far, I haven't been told to cease and desist, thank God. I haven't, haven't had any guys in suits come to the door, you know, and <laughs> have me, you know, sign NDAs or anything. So So maybe this is the way that,
0: even the officialdom wants this to come out, right? You know? Right. Yeah, I really hope you don't get any uh, MIBs knocking on the door <laughs> any <laughs> anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, thank you for sharing that. I think that's a fascinating um, background story into uh, you know what created this lifelong uh, passion for the subject. You know, as an investigator, I'm sure it's led to so many different things, so many different experiences. Before we talk about the cases that you've investigated, I would kind of want to talk about your own personal experience. I heard the story on a different show, and in it, I remember you had mentioned uh, that you had used Dr. Stephen Greer's uh, CE5 protocol. And uh, for the listeners out there who don't know what that is, I might be not describing this 100%, but from what I've gathered, it's kind of like a, um, it's like a meditations in order to attract ufo activity or things of that nature so i want to i want to ask you about your experience using ce5 and what what happened consequently and then after that we'll talk a little bit about um if you've also heard other experience or stories uh that are similar to yours
1: sure sure we can talk about that um well i had been i had been Uh, investigating UFOs just as a field investigator at MUFON. Uh, I didn't have a title yet except just, you know, Earl Gray Anderson Field Investigator. And, uh, you know, I don't even think that I had closed an unknown yet. You know, I'd gotten, like, drone sightings and balloons and somebody sent in a, you know, a video of the Goodyear Blimp thinking it was a UFO and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I was still kind of reading as much as I could on the phenomenon and I came across the idea of, of using meditation as a modality of contact. Um, there, there, you know, uh, Renario Hernandez, he's written a, a wonderful book, uh, it's called beyond UFOs and he talks about the different modalities that you can use to come in contact with our visitors. And, uh, but, but CE5 meditation is one of those. Um, I don't know, I wasn't really connecting it with Stephen Greer or any particular person. Um, in fact, you know, Stephen, uh, you know, bless the man. He certainly has done a lot of good things out there. But, you know, I think charging people to, to meditate and, and bring, uh, bring about UFOs is, is, is uh, something that you, you don't have to pay somebody to do that. You can do it yourself. And plus, I guess I'm I'm just cheap at heart. <laughs> I wasn't right. willing to pony up, you know, thousands of dollars for some guy to do that. So,
0: so just to clarify, did
1: meditate.
0: So just to clarify, you you did you did not use his protocol. You used your own meditation, correct? Yeah.
1: Okay. I, oh. I just kind of you know jumped in the river to learn how to swim, more or less. And and I I don't even I didn't even really think it was going to work. But I thought why not? Uh, I'm going to try it. Uh, because my mom at one point said that the phenomena was realer than I would ever know, and I I think that just that phrase bothered me, and I, I wanted to know, I wanted to know. So I I was pretty good at meditating when I was younger. Uh, you know, I would like have the focal point or use a mandala in the corner of the room, and 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 I would uh, I even used a mantra that I had from years back. And I I got myself into a meditative state. Um, No substances involved. You know, I'm against, uh, well, I'm not against any means or modality of contact, but that wasn't the way I I wanted to go about it. I wanted to be clear-minded so that, you know, I I, I was all there, you know. So I, I, I tried this for a couple of weeks. I would usually do it for maybe 20 minutes to 30 minutes. And then, you know, I I was sending out a particular message. I I didn't want to see a UFO per se. I I wanted to meet the ETs themselves. So the message I was sending out was, was I want to meet you. You can actually abduct me if you want. I can't believe I sent that out there, but I did. I didn't specify, you know, I mean, in my mind, I was thinking of like the valiant Thor case or tall whites or some, you know, right. like benevolent humanoids. <laughs> I was hoping to get a little ride around the block, you know, to flying thoughts, to be honest, as, as naive as that may sound, uh, it worked. Wow. Uh, and, and about, I've been doing it for a couple of weeks it was uh, late at night. I just closed the case. I was kind of feeling my oats that I, I think I had maybe 20 cases I'd worked on at that point. Uh, went up to sleep and, uh, my wife and I, we lived in Burbank, California. It was not rural. It was a very busy kind of, you know, suburban sprawl. We, we lived across from the Chandler bike path for anybody out there. It's listening that is familiar with the area. So, um, Anyway, I'd gone up to my to our room. My wife was already asleep. Uh, I I put a bunch of pillows behind my back because I like to sleep in a semi recumbent position, sort of like you do in a lounge chair, you know, uh, with my head up a bit. Right. And I'm kind of moving pillows around, and this strange thing happened. So our room started slowly flooding with light, and I was trying to figure out the source. I mean, there was no source for it. Um, the, it wasn't coming through the window. It wasn't coming from uh, a cell phone or anything like that. It was just this bluish glow.
0: So is, is it as if someone it was made me tur-
1: feel calm? Okay.
0: Was it was, mm-hmm. it was it as if someone was turning a dimmer up and you couldn't see where the light was coming from? Or yeah. Something? Okay.
1: Yes, but it didn't have a, a focal point. It didn't have a source. That was right. the weird thing. And light doesn't operate like that it has to have a source and you know photons are emitted and right. that's how, how how we see but this seemed to be coming from all around almost as though it were a haze or a fog except it was light and oh, wow. I felt calm now we had a cricket problem in our rafters <laughs> <laughs> it was an old house it was mainly made out of wood and, and we had it was sort of cabiny looking you know and we were the second floor and uh, you couldn't hear the crickets. The, the, the cricket concerto had silenced.
0: <laughs>
1: you know? Wow. Um, no street sounds. Uh, you know, normally you would hear some traffic or a helicopter, or what have you. It, was, it got quieter and quieter and quieter. And I realized, as the room was, was very lit up at this point, that I couldn't move. I couldn't move anything but my eyes. I was trying to move my hands, my legs, and it was—it was as though I had been rendered a quadriplegic. Uh, but I still wasn't scared. That's a weird thing, Ricky. I, I there's something about that light that seems like it has this calming uh, effect. Wow. Well, the, the weirdest thing that I think I've ever seen in my life, and I've seen some weird stuff, but this was the hands down weirdest because it doesn't make any scientific sense is that in front of me and I can look forward right I could I could look around but I couldn't turn my head uh, the room started getting brighter and at this point the the, the rest of our room it started dimming down the, the the intensity of light and it seemed like it focused in front of me and it was spinning. Uh, it looked like somebody had poured, the way I like to describe it is like somebody poured cream into a cup of coffee. It started from the middle, and it went out to about seven feet across. Uh, it, it was like a seven-foot hole that opened up in our room. <laughs> and I could see distance. That's the weird thing. It was, it was distance there. Uh, there was something tall that was standing on the periphery uh, on the right. That uh, the light was coming from behind him or her or it, so I really couldn't see any details. It was like a silhouette. It was tall, maybe five and a half foot tall, maybe closer to six, somewhere like that. But you couldn't see any features on the person that was standing there. Was, I think of it as like a guard or a sentinel, or I don't, I don't know what or who it was. I still don't. Um, and at this point, I started getting scared. Um, it, there were four diminutive entities that came towards me. And you could see them in very distant, and then they just approached. It was it was kind of dramatic. It was a very very. I'll never forget it. It was, it was weird. They didn't walk up. It was as though they were floating a millimeter over the ground. And they just stood there and they came up. Uh, There were three on my right or wait, there was uh, three on my right and one on my left side of the bed. And they started, I couldn't move, first of all. And they they were the guys with the big black eyes and they're all staring at me. And it seemed to have a hypnotic effect. Um, (laughs) And I was scared and I was praying. I was praying that God would save me from them. I was trying to communicate with them and nothing was coming back from them. It was like a surgical team and they had a job to do. And they took, the best I can put it, Ricky, is they took blood and uh, it felt like life energy. Uh, which is maybe the same thing. You know, I, I spoke with one friend of mine that, that works with officialdom and she was saying, well, what do you think your blood is? That is your life. And that is your DNA. They took your DNA. And, and, uh, and it was very precise. And, and uh, they, again, they, everybody had a job to do. When they left, they left the same way they arrived. Uh, as far as I know, it took maybe 15, 20 minutes max for, them, for this whole thing to happen. Um, they didn't turn around and walk away when they were done. They just like slipped backwards until it was just uh, lost in this vanishing point. Uh, there wasn't room to park a spaceship between our house and our neighbor's house, by the way. <laughs> you know, it was like 10 feet, you know, a little sort of alleyway between our houses. And uh, so it wasn't, I don't think that they parked a spaceship there and, and took me to it. I think that they probably, the best I can put it is that they opened up some kind of a portal and that they came through that. And uh, and I think that they use portals quite a bit anyway. Uh, Carol and Corey did her film Terror in the Sky, where they uh, they, they had this point uh, between Seal Beach and Catalina Island where the Tic Tac UFO is seen. And there's a lot of activity there. I mean, I get all the reports that come in from that area. Now, they had scientific, scientists with monitoring equipment, and they caught gamma rays from this portal that opened up that they caught both on film, they caught it on, on slur video. They, they, and they had, they had all the equipment there to do this. And, uh, and I think that's probably how our visitors get here, how they travel the distance between stars is that they use wormholes of some kind. And, uh, and, and then they'll open up a portal and come through. So that's what happened. Um, after that, the whole incident uh, i mean i'm glad that i used the restroom before i went up to sleep because it probably would have been a mess i was scared oh my god. um when i could finally move i started just yelling and yelling and screaming and must have woken up neighbors and stuff and my wife you know i'm, I'm talking about aliens and stuff and she was not abused you know it was like oh my god you joined this crazy ufo group Is this the sort of thing that I have to look forward to? You know, I didn't sign up for that. So I curled up into kind of a fetal position, and and I I just, of course, I I couldn't sleep anymore. I just stayed awake all night and pondered and tried to figure out what the hell had happened. Uh, She didn't want to talk about it, and I certainly didn't want to talk about it, and and I didn't. But two nights later, the shoe was on the other foot. My wife was shaking me awake, and she was really, really, she was freaked out. I mean, she was just stressed, stressed to the gills. She was pacing alongside of the uh, the right side of our bed, same place where the three little entities were for me, you know, a couple bites before. But she's pacing there, and she's going, and the room was flooded with light again, Ricky. The room it was lit up again with no source for it. And, uh, and Lisa says, oh, my God. God, you need to tell your little friends that they need to leave us the F alone. You know, she, the F word. I don't know if it's a family show or not. You, <laughs> you need to tell your little friends to leave us the alone. You know, I, I didn't sign up for this. And, and she's like, just she was very, very, very upset. And uh, I was too. At least now, my wife knew that I'd didn't have a mental breakdown or something uh she knew that what i was telling her was true and uh two nights after that we both woke up again our room was flooded with light um but this time it was also coming from above our house and so we both got up we ran to the window uh, we, we drew the blinds up and uh it was like somebody like God's own spotlight is shining down on our house. And uh, that that was our weird week. That's what I, you know, Lisa and I, when we talk about it, that, that's what we call it. Uh, she still doesn't like to talk about it. All she remembers is our room flooding with anomalous light. Thank God she knows that. And thank God she remembers that. But everything else has been kind of stripped from her memory. You know, some call it the gift of forgetfulness um, and and I, I don't think she wants to remember what happened and uh, you know certainly I mean we, we hang out you know Kathleen Martin is one of my dearest and closest friends and you know I, I, we could certainly get her hypnotically regressed but she doesn't want to know uh, it scares her too much and uh, so that's you know when the phenomena becomes personal I mean they're not here to do air shows um there's there's a reason and a gist behind what they're the reason why they're here. Um, and that kind of experiencers, they're left with gifts. Uh, sometimes they won't even realize it because they're you know, just the ontological shock of of the experience itself. It, it sort of rips your your idea of reality out from under you like a rug. Um, but as time, Went on, I started realizing that my empathy had been enhanced, like through the roof. I could, I could really relate and feel, you know, people's emotions when, when they talk about their UFO sightings and stuff. It was, it was as though I could feel their feelings, um, feel their pain or their joy, and that, and that holds true today. I mean, something happened there. Um, I was strangely able to, you know, my intuition level went up. It seemed like I could connect the dots better with this weird, weird phenomena that's so you know the dots seem so random sometimes. But I started noticing patterns from case to case and story to story, and uh, and I think it made me a, a the, the field investigator that I am. I think that it was purposeful that they, uh, it's that connection that changes us, and, and when people have these experiences whether seem whether they seem malevolent or benevolent or even just confusing it doesn't matter what they're still left with gifts some people get healed some people even get the gift of being able to heal others um the intuition levels go up and it it changes a person and I, i think it changes people for the better to tell you the truth which is weird but i As far as I can see, uh, I usually, you know, I'll talk with people and they may have had a really scary experience, but then they'll say, well, if I could have made it so it had not ever happened, I wouldn't because now I know, you know, it's not a question mark anymore. Uh, Now I know that this is real and, and it changed me. It doesn't matter their race, creed, religion, their political view. You know, people are left with these messages. They're left with, uh, and they're, they're changed by this. So, and the messages seem to be raise your vibratory level. You know, you can't, if you, if you can't live like brothers, you're going to die like thieves. That's one of the messages people are left with. The other ones are, you know, stop treating earth like your private trash can. You only get one and you're destroying it. And the other one is nuclear weapons and war in general is evil, and will destroy you if you don't cease and desist from it. Um, and the, that those messages became very, very prominent in my life after I had my face to face. And now I find out that that, that happens for everybody.
0: It's hmm. Fascinating. That is fascinating. So that's so you're saying that that's a common thread. In the and what you in other cases that you've investigated.
1: Hmm. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Well, if you look at history, if you look at the UFO history, like like Robert Solis is a good friend of mine. He was the commanding officer at uh, in Montana of ICBM base back in 1967. They had a UFO incident where a flying saucer that of plasma, hanging over the guard shack of the ICBM base. There was a guard upstairs, and there was Bob, and he had his little crew downstairs with the missiles. And they watched this this UFO. It, it took ten of our ICBMs and turned them off. It was like blip, 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 blip. I mean, he just watched them go offline. And they kept them offline. Uh, I, I heard the story differently, and, and Bob corrected me a couple nights ago. You know, we had we had dinner a couple nights ago, and he was saying, you know, they didn't put them back online, Earl. Uh, that story is out there, but that's incorrect. They turned off our missiles and they left them off. Um, we had to put them back online ourselves. This happened at three wow. other uh, U.S. Air Force bases, uh, Minot. Uh, and there were a couple others, and this happened in Russia. We found out after uh, the Soviet Union collapsed, some reports came out from from uh, you know the former Soviet Union, and they had the exact same thing happen, where a, a UFO hovered over a missile base, and apparently in their case, it, it turned the missiles, it it, it put them on uh, launch mode. <laughs> Imagine that. It was it set them on launch mode, and they couldn't stop it. And you you know where those missiles were were pointed, right? right? I right. mean, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. But then, apparently, the missiles went offline. Then, so we're being told something, you know, and and, and not just mentally, to so telepathically, but but physically, you know, we're being given messages. Same thing, same kind of thing happened at Rendlesham Forest. I mean, that was a nuclear missile base, mm-hmm. joint. Uh, project between the U.S. government and, and the United Kingdom, and uh, the fascinating case there.
0: Yeah, so, I, I know. But, but I, I, I know that case. Uh, yeah. yeah, I know that case. That case uh, very well. Actually, didn't it say uh, the craft say something to the nature of interplanetary observation or something like that, and then the one, yes. of, the, one of the people that yes. touched, touched they, it, touched it, received a message and binary code that. Like you we have you Jim know, Penniston. Right. Yep. Right. And then the message was along the lines of we what you have just talked about about um, you know, nuclear proliferation and protecting the environment and, and those kinds of things came through allegedly.
1: Isn't that amazing? It, and you know, I mean, these are all warriors, these are our professional warriors, but it seems like our visitors are I think that they're they're puzzled, maybe, and, and very interested in, in our propensity to be able to love each other and, and, and write symphonies and, and and meaningful art, you know, pieces of artwork, and but then we can turn around and and point missiles at each other's country, know, knowing that it would kill all of us. We push the button, um, you know. They 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 call it MAD, mutually assured destruction, and, mm. and uh, that the nuclear clock right now is like a minute to twelve or less than that. I think it's it's scary times. And, so it seems like this message is being ramped up, and
0: I think it, that there's a purpose for it. Absolutely. Oh, there's definitely a purpose behind all of this, surely. I mean, but going back to your experience, I wanted to ask you a question. So after having that experience, which is absolutely terrifying, do you is there any indication that you have now, after you know having your intuition raised? And being more open to this, is there any indication to you of uh, what we're dealing with?
1: Well, it's a non-human intelligence. I tend to lean towards it being more of a dimensional phenomenon that it's, it's, uh, it gets rid of problems like Fermi's paradox and the distance between stars and why us, you know. But uh, but I think that it's not just one thing. I think that there's that, that the universe and the nature of the universe breeds intelligence that's the purpose of, 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 the universe. Um, but that's the consciousness of the universe itself, that, that we're each one of us were sort of individual neurons in this, this brain, that, that everything. Right. And, and this is the way that the universe has consciousness. And, and so it doesn't surprise me that, that life would be rife out there. And, and, and this, this, this very prevalent and common thing. It's, it's what, what is supposed to happen. And uh, So I think that, you know, it's probably coming from uh, uh, interdimensional intelligences. I think it's coming from probably other star systems as well. And, uh, and maybe some of the UFOs people see are us from the future, mm-hmm. which I hope that is the case. That means that we survive ourselves and that we eventually become like Star Trek. You know? Right. I mean, I think that our our visitors want Star Trek. They don't want Star Wars. Right. And and we're re- right now we're a threat to the universe because now we're capable of space flight. We're capable of mass destruction, and uh, I think that they just see what we've done to our own our own other fellow humans, and they don't want that to happen outside of the Earth's orbit. So I think that. Things have ramped up that messages and downloads that people get are are just very, very strong that you can't walk away from it when it happens. You can't ignore it. It changes you. And uh, they, they ask why, well, if they're here, why don't they land on the White House lawn? Well, we would shoot at them, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we would, you know, I mean, just look at all the just people losing their minds now and doing mass shootings for no reason at all. Mm -hmm. Well, people would feel threatened, and uh, I think that society, it it might even cause societal collapse. But when they go person to person to person, the way that we're seeing them do this, uh, it makes it a personal thing, and it changes a person, changes them. And uh, I think that our visitors are very patient. And they have all the time in the world, in some ways. And uh, so, this is the the modality that they have chosen for communication is by doing it personally.
0: You know, that's uh, I just think it's absolutely fascinating. You know that experience that you had, and I want to also talk about one detail that I overheard uh, in the conversation about the actual experience. You said that um, the eyes, when you looked into them, had kind of a hypnotic effect. That reminds me, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with this case, the aerial school incident in in Africa. Um, On one of the interviews that they had with one of the students, she made a point of telling the investigator that uh, when she looked into the eyes, um, that's when she got, you know, a feeling of being in a kind of a trance state and um, being able to feel emotion just by seeing the eyes of the of the entity which sounds which sounds in description very similar to what you saw in fact you know had the yeah the classic almond shaped eyes to me it's a little terrifying was it ter- was it as was it as scary as you know i'm I'm making it out to be in my mind or is it or you you said just by the nature of the light that it was that you were calm but uh, looking back on it now is it like a terrifying experience to you do you have like any, um, you know, PTSD from that experience. I mean, if it would happen to me, I would, I don't know what, I don't know what I do. I'm a very sensitive person when it comes to those kinds of things. And I just don't know if I had, if I would ever be witness to something like that.
1: The aerial school, um, incident that happened, uh, I think is one of the, if not the most important, uh, UFO event that has ever happened. Uh, and John Mack is my hero. I, I so wish that I could have met him. Uh, if he had lived, I, I have this fantasy that maybe I would probably even be working under him because his gist his, uh, seems to be the same as mine, that uh, he sees that this is not just air shows being put on to show off technology, that, uh, that there's this... Uh, communication that's happening and it is mental telepathy and there's something about their eyes it's just completely engrossing you you can't stop looking in there once you start looking you know there's the old saying you know beware if, if you stare into the abyss that may look back and that's kind of what happened wow. uh there's this this connection that did not scare me in fact i was i was trying to communicate what scared me was, was they weren't communicating back with me. Oh. Now, I've, I've heard different theories on, on what the little gray guys are, and, and I, I sort of think that perhaps they're biological robots. I mean, they were certainly physical. I could feel their touch on me, and they, they'd push around and stuff. And, and uh, when they were taking my blood, and they used these tubes, it was stupid. I mean, it looked like these fire hoses, <laughs> they connected that, that they put on my, on my upper chest and I think on my legs, but I, I, it was hard to look down and see. And plus, you know, I mean, there's a lot going on at once and uh, detail sometimes escapes me. But I was afraid that most people, you know, I had read enough literature at that point that I knew that people would get a calming message. Don't worry, we're not going to harm you we're, we're going to return you to where you were. We're going to, you know, it's, it's always like, don't worry, it's going to be okay. And I didn't get that. And it felt to me like they were just taking so much blood from me that I thought that they were going to exsanguinate me like, like one of the cattle mutilations.
0: mutilation. Wow.
1: And so, and that, that's what scared me, Ricky. I, 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 didn't know what their motive was. Um, and, 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 uh, my God, you know, PTSD, hell yeah. I I, I I didn't know who to talk to. Now, I, you know, my state director at the time was very nuts and bolts about the phenomenon. He's very, very good at it. Um, Jeff Krause, he was my, my state director at the time. And I told him, and I was afraid, I thought he was going to fire me <laughs> because the last thing he wanted to hear was his new field investigator was claiming that he had met aliens. I mean, that was just, you know, but oh, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, you know, I tried telling him once, and, and uh, he, I got the strangest look from him, and that was it. He, he didn't want to talk about it anymore. He didn't fire me. Thank God. I <laughs> have a good field of that figure, you know. Um, now, uh, I went to Peter Robbins. He was Bud Hopkins' old assistant. I knew him. I'd been introduced to him on Facebook, and and uh, and Peter was very helpful. But he, you know, he he was Bud Hopkins' assistant. He wasn't the guy that was like the the one-on-one person that was doing the interviews.
0: Right, and, right, uh, right. He was a professor from Harvard, I believe. Right, the guy who interviewed the students one-on-one. I think he was. Uh, right.
1: Bud Hopkins was a famous. He was a famous artist, and yeah, he was, he was Harvard. Okay, uh, but but I believe he was Harvard. I, I, I can't remember is that or is that John Mack? Oh, um, anyway, anyway.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, but <laughs> but you know what the what really helped me. All right, was no, I knew Kathleen Martin. I met her once. I met her once at uh, Mufon Symposium. Just talked with her for a couple minutes, but I got a hold of her, and uh, Alien Con was coming to town. So she was the very first one, and she said, "Well, let's get together and let's talk, and, and uh, you know, we'll do lunch or something." So I met with uh, I met with Kathy there, and uh, we talked for about an hour. She she was a non judgmental listener. She was compassionate. She didn't roll eyes at me, uh, and she had good advice for me. She told me that you know there was. There was a renegade group of greys that seemed to be doing their own thing out there, and and she thought perhaps I had bumped into those baddies and that that's the origin of it. Um, but then she mentioned you know, that, that uh, there was this compassion that she saw in me, and she could see the gifts I was left with. And she did mention that to me, and, and I think that that was the first time that I really correlated to events. It did change me for the better. But I had to get past the PTSD. I mean, there still is a little bit there. I think there always probably will be. Um, you know, I, I have one case where a guy was uh, in the front lines of Vietnam, and, and he has PTSD from the fact that he was abducted from the barracks. That's yeah. where the PTSD came from with this guy, wow. yeah, and and uh, so it's a very powerful thing, and uh, but after talking with her, you know, Kathleen, she ran um, Mufon's ERT, the, the Experiencer Resource Team. Uh, she actually began this because she saw this uh, this void and this lack uh, for for experiencers. There's no place for them to go, and and nobody for them to talk with, and so. Uh, in the ERT, you know, it's judgmental listeners. Uh, you have to throw, leave your presuppositions about the phenomena at the door. You respect the the, the person who's telling you this personal story, mm-hmm. and uh, and so she was. She has her background in that. You know, she's the niece of Betty and Barney Hill, the first well, you know, publicized, uh, yeah, you know, experiencer case. That was out there, and after we talked, I I felt so much better. I felt catharsis. You know, somebody actually had answers. Had they knew that what I was saying was, was an honest and truthful event that happened, and uh, it really helped. And I I just as an aside, I said, you know, Ka- Kathleen, I might want to join uh, the ERT. I might want to join myself if I could. Uh, is, could I like have an interview or something? And she laughed and she looked at me and she said, "Well, what do you think we've been doing the last hour?" And that was your interview. Welcome to the ERT. And uh, I've never looked back. It was the most wonderful and compassionate thing. And uh, and now I'm trying to you know pay that forward, and that, that's that's what I do. And uh, so so many of my hours go into speaking with these people that have had extraordinary face-to-face experiences with our visitors. Um, And I think that's, I mean, again, they're not here to do air shows. They're not here to show off their technology. They're not here to invade. If they were, they were doing a terrible job of it. I mean, they've been here since at least 1947, and here we are. Our biggest threat is still ourselves. Um, So that's how I got to where I am present day. And it seems like it opened like a flower for me, Ricky. uh, Now, I'm state director here in Southern California. I I have a team that's working under me. And uh, I try to balance them between the nuts and bolts side of this because it's definitely there. But uh, balance them between that and this this strange, strange, high strangeness thing that's happening uh, one-on-one between our visitors and, and other humans. Uh, it's changed my life, and I, and I love it. I love it. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't trade trade it for anything. So the scariest thing that ever happened to me became the most wonderful and benevolent thing that ever happened.
0: Now, a couple of other things I wanted to ask you about um, your experience. One is if you had uh, any of the missing time phenomena happen, That's num- that's part one, and then part two is, um, you know, it's funny, when you mentioned Kathleen Marston, right? Mm-hmm. She um, Kathleen, Kathleen Martin. Martin, excuse me. She she had written a book, right, with Stanton Friedman, correct? I forgot what the, what the name is. She
1: wrote a few books with Stanton. Okay. Uh, she, she wrote uh, Science Was Wrong with Stanton. She wrote uh, the book that, um, oh, I've got the title here. Hold on. I can tell you what it is. <laughs> I just have to look at my library, but uh, he he wrote the book with her about uh, Betty and Barney Hill. Right. And she recently updated that, and it's it's a wonderful read. Right. Um, mm. Hold on. Um, yeah, the, the the book is called Captured, and that was okay. uh, written with by uh, Stanton Friedman and and Kathleen Martin, and, and I highly recommend that book. It's. Uh, And and another one that Kathleen wrote is What to Do If You've Been Abducted. Uh, She wrote that with Denise Filner and and, uh, Maddie Tobias. Uh, Maddie is a a Ph.D. uh, in psychology, Uh, and and Denise's, her history, you know, she's worked with officialdom and three-letter acronyms out there. But is now highly just completely focused on on the high strangeness cases, and the mm. experiencer phenomenon, mm-hmm. and, and these are my colleagues at the ERT and my, and my dear friends as well. Now oh. you know it's like my my lifeline. But uh, Kathleen is a sage, and I think that she is probably the world's greatest authority on on the, uh, the UFO phenomenon—not not just uh, not just the experiencer phenomenon, but the whole tamale. Wow. She's just brilliant woman, brilliant woman and a dear, just my friend and my mentor. Right. And, and she lets me call her that. <laughs> I don't think she lets everybody call her, you know, that, you know, she's my mentor, but, um, she, she, to, to this day, you know, sometimes I'll get the date wrong on something and she'll kind of nudge me. And it's always lovingly, you know, and she'll, she'll correct me because she's taken that position in my life as teacher and mentor and friend.
0: So I I appreciate Kathleen so very, very much. Yeah. That's amazing. Like a sister to me. The reason why I brought her name up is because, uh, well, you mentioned her earlier, but the reason why I brought her up is because um, I believe it's that book that you mentioned just now that they mentioned that the Hills actually had poltergeist activity after their abduction. In your case or in other cases that are similar cases, have you heard of this? also happening? So I guess this is a twofold question. One is if you had missing time in the experience, then number two is, um, whether or not you also had poltergeist activity after the abduction or not after the abduction, after the experience, I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. It was a visitation. They did, they did a house call. <laughs> Doctors <laughs> not even do that anymore, but you know, apparently aliens do. Um, missing time I've never experienced. Uh, I've experienced the Oz effect, which, uh, time becomes very strange and elongated and, and you can't really tell a minute from, you know, half an hour, um, where things become muffled almost like there's what's happening becomes its own little bubble universe, its own focal point. Right. Um, since I had my, my visit, I did have a close encounter with a craft hmm. and I noticed that the closer I got to the craft cause I was in my car, uh, that I started experiencing the same phenomena, that things outside of my vehicle became very quiet, uh, that time became very weird, and that I wasn't really under my own mental cognizance uh, because I drove right past the UFO. I mean, I, I, I would have the smoking gun video and photos and I could have called news services and it would have been, you know. But I, the closer I got to it, I wasn't in control and, and, uh, the message or, or the, what I thought were my own thoughts were, though, you're going to be late to work. You got to go. <laughs> oh, and, and so I drive. you know, I was driving towards the 118 freeway here, which I took to get to, you know, I worked as a nurse back then hmm. and I was about two miles away from it. And that's when I, I stopped my car and I just like head in my hands. I got out, you know, I'm looking back there. Of course, the the UFO is gone at this point. uh, But I think it was a teachable moment. I I don't think that, again, I don't think they were doing an air show to show off their tech and power, but I think they were trying to teach me something about sightings, that that it's the same realm as as a visitation or an abduction, that it's both physical and psychological and that you can be trained to the guilds, but when you're under their, you know, under their control, you, you can't really pull from your training. Um, it, it, the, the show belongs to them. So, I mean, any of these videos that you're seeing of, of, you know, the go fast video or the tic-tac or, you know, I think that those were allowed out there. I think that our visitors allowed those out. Right. And I think that they're in control of what comes out quite frankly. I mean, there's a reason why people take photos of UFOs and they come out fuzzy and indecipherable. <laughs> huh. um, I, I think that their mode of, of changing us, their mode of meeting of us, that first contact is happening, but they're doing it personally, person by person. Hmm. And, uh, when when this happens, um, they're they're wonderful teachers. I mean, it certainly gets it got my attention. I mean, my God, my God. And and the UFO I saw, it wasn't this sleek, beautiful starship. It looked like it was this V-shaped thing that was built out of out of modules, like square modules, and it looked like old. Even I, I want to say rusted out, but I think burnt would be a better term, like it's like it's been scorched or something. But there it was. It was hanging over a schoolyard, like 30 feet above ground. It was the size of a fighter, you know, plane, a little larger maybe. And uh, it was mass tonnage that was just hanging there anomalously. There, I couldn't see any propulsion that was going on. It's not, It certainly didn't have rotors like a helicopter, um, it, it, it didn't belong there, you know? I mean, I couldn't explain it scientifically. It, it, it You know, I, I kind of made me recoil from it in some ways because I, I try to think scientifically. You know, I have a background in science. And, you know, I was a backyard astronomer when I was a kid up until, you know, in my mid-20s, and uh, this didn't make any sense. Uh, Newtonian physics out the window you know right <laughs> so that's you know missing time and all that uh, no but I've I've experienced the Oz effect which Jenny Randall the the, the famous UK uh, UFO investigator uh, coined that term for this weird activity that happens with contact. it happens with close encounters with a craft as well uh, that's what I've discovered I think you had like what? What was the other question other than missing time? You were asking me about.
0: Yeah. So the other and uh, in Kathleen's book, they mentioned that the hills actually had poltergeist activity after the abduction. Oh yeah. And so I wanted to know whether or I, not you experienced yeah. the same thing, and uh, <clears throat> and if you've actually heard of similar cases.
1: I hear of this all the time. Um, the one time that I have seen it. Personally, I didn't really understand abductions yet. It was before I was investigating this phenomenon. Uh, an old girlfriend of mine had a, a missing time event with uh, a cigar-shaped craft when she was a little girl, and she had weird events happen in her house where she she would have see like a, a cloaked, a dark figure that would be like a biblical cloak or like you know Obi Wan Kenobi cloak, right? Right. Uh, they
0: right. May the 4th be with you. At the oh, and may
1: the 4th be with you, too. 4th <laughs> of May, yeah. <laughs> but 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 she was seeing these, these weird uh, apparitions in her room. And I started seeing, when, whenever she would have one of these happen, a poltergeist event would happen. Like, she had her cat's uh, ashes from, you know, her cat, very little pets that had passed away. She kept in little boxes, and one time, one it flew across the room and hit the wall. Um, I had painted a, uh, a oil painting of her holding her guitar, um, and it was a big painting. It was like two and a half feet by four feet. And it, it, I, I hunted up with using the museum hangers that they're supposed to be earthquake proof and all that. Right. Well, she had one of her experiences and the tv turned on by itself while we while she was telling me about it the tv turns on she didn't have the remote with her there's nobody else in the house um the lights were flickering like a haunted house and this painting it flew across the room ricky it flew like seven and a half feet and, and was face down on the floor wow um and that scared the hell out of me but i thought that she had a haunt uh i i you know, I, I sought out, you know, religious people and asked them what I should do and, you know, blessing the place. And I, I wound up sort of, you know, doing a seat of the past sage ceremony, I put salt around the and the, the windows. They, they kind of told me that this one uh, uh, pagan woman kind of gave me the idea. She said, this works every time and do this and it'll stop. Well, it didn't stop, <laughs> oh, wow. you know, and, and, and I, I spoke with my old girlfriend, I, you know, we're still on good terms. We're, we're talking this is like the early, mid-1990s, um, and, and she agrees with me. We, we thought it was a haunting, and I, I was telling her, no, actually, you know what? This is very, very common with people that have abductions and visitations. It's a poltergeist-like activity happens afterwards. not sure what it is about it. I'm not sure if it's coming from us or from them. You know, it's like we all do have psychic and, and, and telekinetic powers within us. They're just locked up. Right. Uh, that's another thing people are told, you know, that we are so much more than we know. Um, and so I've seen, I've seen the poltergeist uh, activity, but I didn't know what I was seeing when I saw it. Now I do. So I've seen that I experienced it. Um, I know that uh, Dr. Irena Scott, she's uh, one of my dear friends, and she, she tells a story of, of when she and her sister had a close encounter with a craft that looked almost exactly like the one that Betty and Barney Hill saw. Um, her encounter happened, I think it was in the late 60s, 1969 or something. She was working for the NSA at the time. And uh, she ran up a hill to try to get a photograph of this craft and she had about half an hour missing time behind that. Uh-huh. Now, this is a highly intelligent woman, a Ph.D. Uh, her great-grandfather, uh, he, uh, he founded, uh, oh, what's the name of the college? Shoot, university. Um, uh, it'll come to me in a second. But, I mean, we're talking the most into- one of the most intelligent scientific people I know she got home from that and her electric toothbrush flew across the bathroom and hit the wall. (laughs) And and this is coming from a scientist. Um, And and from case to case, I mean, this is a common thing. I don't know if it's just like an electromagnetic uh, side effect that that happens or maybe, you know, maybe our telekinetic, our telepathic, uh, all the above, maybe those powers are kind of engaged when you have a, a contact experience. Hmm. And and so um, maybe, maybe her own mind caused that to happen. Right. So, I don't know.
0: So it could be a physical manifestation of whatever this gift is, or maybe it's part of this gift that maybe it's expressed in the poltergeist activity.
1: I think so. But it's like a little child trying to take baby steps. You know, you're going to fall and, right. you know, if yeah. your toothbrush, you're going to maybe hit the bathroom wall. <laughs> um, so, yes, yes. And, it, I, and I, so, so many other cases, yes, you know, the poltergeist-like activity happens. And I don't think it's ghosts. I don't think it's demons. I don't think it's, you know, I think that it's an effect of uh, maybe our, our own powers are, are loosened a little bit. And maybe that's a baby step that, that we're taking to happen. But I don't know. It's just, you know, best I can make of it.
0: Excuse me. And what's really fascinating about the whole thing is that the commonalities, you know, in some of these cases. Um, that's very interesting to me. Yeah. As, as we've discussed. There
1: are markers. Markers of abduction, markers of visitation. We look for those in the ERT. You know, I mean, we'll have, uh, if, and it's. I, I should mention this. Anybody out there who's listening to this podcast, if this sounds familiar to you, if you go to mufon dot com m u f o n dot com. Uh, it'll on that front page. You'll see two tabs that you can click on: report a UFO or report an entity. And uh, and sometimes people will have both happen, and they'll they'll click both tabs, you know, because they you know they kind of
0: I go hand that. in hand. Wow.
1: And and if you do that, somebody like myself, we, we have, uh, I think eighty some members now in the ERT. Um, everybody's been trained. A lot of people that work in mental health, or you know, a lot of scientists, uh, doctors. Uh, you know, I am just a nurse, <laughs> but you know, I know I know my stuff. But you'll get a non judgmental listener to listen to you and not question your story. And, uh, and that there's catharsis in that people find relief in that. And if you speak with an ERT person, they can send you, if you, if you have a burning desire for hypnotic regression, uh, we do have vetted, uh, hypnotic therapists that aren't connected with MUFON. You know, we we, we don't want to go into patient treatment and stuff like that, you know? Uh, but, uh, we do have a list of, of local people in, in most of the states of the union and overseas as well. Um, and, and so I would highly recommend to you if, if you're out there and you're listening to what we're talking about and, and you're wondering who to talk with and, and, and how to get some relief or even just some answers. Um, that's where I went. And uh, that's where I work now. You know, I'm an executive member, there's like six or seven of us. Um, and we kind of, uh, you know, we all share our notes, uh, but we will keep you absolutely anonymous. Um, I mean, we're, we are so very, you know, I, I, I had to adhere to HIPAA law as a nurse Mm -hmm. and I do the same thing now with my UFO work. You know, I'm not going to put your name out there. I'm not going to put out any details about where you live, uh, who you are. We want to keep you safe. So that that's our first priority. Um, so anyway, that I, I wanted to, to throw that in there that, that that there is relief for you as well out there, folks.
0: Well, thank you, thank you for mentioning that because I'm sure there's many others out there who could use you know help going through that and uh, making sense of all of it. So I'm really glad that you uh, mentioned that.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's important to me. You know, Ricky, I mean, this is a personal phenomenon. That's what I found. You know, it's not some impersonal thing uh, that's way out there. And, you know, that's not what this is about and not what's happening. They're here for a reason. I think they're here to save us from ourselves, for one thing, and and to maybe protect the rest of the universe from our warlike activities and I think that they see that you know humanity has this shared disability. Um, I've 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 met some interesting people in in my travels as a ufologist and and uh, in, in official them as well. And a very important person I can't and won't mention their name, but uh, they they were telling me that that uh, that this is is the case that that that. that the gist of our visitors is this personal change that happens from person to person. That uh, I think that humanity is being retooled so that we're less dangerous to ourselves and others. And uh, it, it's the next step in human evolution. I mean, we are on the cusp of what they call the singularity, where you know we're we're going to be tempted to become our computers soon. And and uh, and our you know intelligence levels within ourselves may be enhanced soon um, and, and you know I mean it's not I mean we, we already do this I mean you know I have an artificial knee you know I if, if a tooth falls out you're not left with an open space you know you have a, a, a another tooth put in and and it's the, the same thing they they're trying to uh, we, well we are we are already changing ourselves and I think that it's, it's gonna go, we have the potential of becoming monsters, uh, and, and it's happening now and, and even sooner. I mean, when, when we become one with an AI, uh, there's risks there. Uh, even e- Elon Musk is saying that we should put the brakes to this for a little while until we can figure out the, the magnitude of, of what this is going to do. I mean, will we even be able to recognize ourselves in, in 10, 15, 20 years from now? I I don't know. It it may actually change us physically as well. Um, So I think that there's this concern about this in the cosmos. And our visitors, I don't think that this is their first rodeo. Mm -hmm. I think that they've done this before elsewhere with other races that are similar to us. Um, And, uh, well, hopefully they know what they're doing, you know, and I hope that they. I hope they're successful if this is what they're trying to do. They're actually trying to save us. Um, and, and the future would be marvelous. It would be Star Trek. You know, I think that's what we all want, and I think that's ultimately what they want. I don't, I don't think they want a warring uh, race out there uh, going into the stars and, and leaving the path of destruction. It's a it, uh, horrible thought.
0: Yeah, hopefully they can save us, help save us from ourselves, right? I guess maybe that's yeah what they're trying to do. Maybe that's part of the mission. Mm-hmm. And let me ask you a question: In the past few years, have you seen or have you noticed a rise in sightings?
1: Um, you know, I don't know if if, if the sightings are are have multiplied or if people are more apt to look for them or more apt to actually report a ufo i mean stanton friedman used to do this and i'll do this as well sometimes if i'm speaking to a crowd i'll say um how many of you have seen a ufo and you see all these hands raise up and then i'll say how many of you reported that ufo and you watch a bunch of hands drop down um Hmm. so often i'll hear like a a, an amazing story and from an intelligent witness that's just irrefutable and they've held on to it for 30 years because they didn't know who to tell it to. Right. Uh, you don't want to call the air force and tell them <laughs> you know, they'll send guys out to your door and have you sign NDAs. And, you know, your, if you have photographs, they'll take them. Uh, you don't want to, I mean, if you call the police, if you get a good police officer, um, the, they'll tell you about MUFON <laughs> and have you contact us. Um, uh, so, But it's exciting times right now. Um, I do see distinct patterns, uh, especially off the coast of California here. Mm. And I know the East Coast is the same. I mean, you, you guys are experiencing the same thing out there in the Atlantic. Uh, a lot of, uh, you know, I've, I've got so many cases where objects come out of the water. They go into the sky and they shoot off into low Earth orbit or outer space. Um, and, and a lot of this activity is off the California coast, the same place where they saw the Tic tac back in 2004 with the USS Nimitz and all that you know, right. David Fravor and Kenneth Day, you know Ken, uh, Kenneth, uh, Kevin, I'm sorry I'm calling, sorry Kevin call, call Ken, <laughs> Kenneth, I don't know why <laughs> Kenneth Arnold,
0: you might, you're probably thinking of Kenneth Arnold maybe yeah,
1: yeah, exactly I just had his his granddaughter speaks by class the other day, uh-huh. but but anyway, Kevin and I and and, and uh, we, we we go back now. You know, I I kind of did some detective work and found him when the story first came out, and you know, we do lunch and we stay in touch. And the man is another. This is somebody who was completely changed by their by by this anomalous incident. And um, I mean, if you talk with Kevin, he thinks that the timeline was actually changed. Uh, during the during the whole tic-tac encounter. According to Kevin, the CD, the commanding officer was, was ready to uh, shoot ordnance at that thing. And people were waving their arms in the air, and it was just pandemonium there on the radar deck. And... It's like he closed his eyes and reopened them, and everything had changed. The commanding officer wasn't even there. He was on another deck entirely. Everybody was calm and what? behind their computers. <laughs> and, you know, he feels like, you know, that that's the magnitude of this phenomena, that maybe the universe kind of branched off, diverged at that moment, and, and here we are. We're on the side that diverged to where we didn't start shooting at the thick At I don't think that would have gone well if we had um, so this phenomenon is so strange. It's so personal and, uh, bam, you know, I live here at the world's hot spot because we we are, are actually, it's tabulated and tallied up last month alone. I had 88 different UFO uh, reports come in to us here wow. in California. Um, this month it was a little, or, or April that is. An hour in May, but in April we we had a little slower of a month. There were just just only fifty five <laughs> reports that came in. Only, so it's an active area, and uh, I'm blessed to be here. I think I'm, I guess you know whoever's in control of this stuff, uh, I'm the right person in the right spot at the right time, yeah. and uh, that that makes me feel good. And feels like I'm not all alone well in this. I think that uh, there's helpers out there I think that are helping us mm. they're free to do so just don't take my blood you know
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh my goodness
1: no probing you know no probing mm. I didn't get that mm. I was never probed I don't know many people that were I think out of all my cases it goes up beyond 900 now I, I've uh, I've had one case where the guy was probed and, uh, and I have a friend over the pond who experienced that, unfortunately. It, it's uh. not, not fun. Um, I have met Whitley Strieber a couple times, sweet guy. Apparently he they he got the special treatment. Oh no! So yeah, no probing <laughs> and and you guys have enough of my blood to freaking throw a party for vampires. So no more of that. <laughs> right. Any downloads or uh, sightings or arcane lo- you know knowledge you want to give me? Go for it. Right. You know. <laughs> but be careful what you ask for. You know, mm. if you do a CE five. You know, I tell people, I mean, the only people I told about my experience for years were my new field investigators. And I told them, just beware and be aware that if you poke at the phenomena, don't don't be surprised if it pokes back. It's personal. It's not like you're outside, you know, like you're looking at, uh, at a microscope slide and you're somehow externalized from the phenomenon. No. As soon as you look at it, you're, you become part of it. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, that quantum entanglement thing. And uh, so I would tell my new field investigators, just, you know, be aware that this could happen. And if you ever do a CE5 thing or, you know, I would specify I want to meet benevolent, you know, kind entities that aren't going to probe me or take my blood or do this or that, you know. Uh, I would be specific about it, and, and maybe that would work. Uh, I don't know. I, I haven't had any other anomalous uh, face-to-face encounters, but that one. Some people, it's repetitive, you know. Mm. could be very disruptive in their lives.
0: Yeah, and, and absolutely terrifying. I couldn't imagine uh, going through that multiple times. I mean, that's got to be... Uh... Yeah,
1: I, I wouldn't like it either. I mean, people, they learn to deal with it, um, and... and thankfully that's what the ERT is there for. I mean, I stay in touch with my people. I mean, if it's ongoing, um, I, I, I tell them, I want, you know, I want you to keep a journal. I want you to date it, time it so we can see if there are any patterns. And if something happens, it could be five years from now, you've got my contact information. As long as I'm alive, you know, as long as I'm here, uh, I, I want to be in touch with you and you're not alone. And uh, I guess that's what I, you know, was meant to do. Uh, I guess I was set up for this job all my life. So for the longest time, the only people I would tell about my anomalous experience were my new field investigators because I felt like I owed them that heads up, that little caveat, you know, that uh, that was a possibility. Um, So far, none of my guys have gone through what I went through, but they have had UFO sightings. Um, my chief investigator had a UFO sighting of four triangular craft in the San Diego area. He put that in himself. He saw it, and this guy, scientifically minded, and he can, and he's skeptical. You know, he 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 has unknowns. You know, he's got cases he's closed as UFOs, but he's very very careful. He he looks at every single little thing that that could have been, and checks them off. And at the end of the day. <laughs> if, right. if they're all checked, you know, then you got a UFO. But he saw uh, four again off the coast, San Diego. These four diamond-shaped objects that shot off and then suddenly disappeared. Uh, they disappeared to the vanishing point. They just like like cloaking technology. And lo and behold, we had somebody put in the case that's very very similar in the same area. I gave that to Gino. <laughs> My chief investigator, since he saw that, I said, uh, does this look familiar to you? This is your case. And, uh, and he closed that as an unknown. And it had video. You have video of wow. these four triangular-shaped black objects that are just hanging there over the shoreline. It's so weird. They're not kites. They're not drones that I know of. Um, if they are drones, well, there's some. there's some black project drones that the public's not aware of. Uh, it's a very strange video. Uh, I actually sent it to Ron James, uh, MUFON's media guy. Uh, to, maybe he could put that in the, his little monthly uh, UFO report that he does for MUFON TV. So, But that, that brings up my, my, my teammate, uh, Gino, and I have some great people that work with me. Uh, Gino is my uh, chief investigator, and uh, we had uh, just a wonderful opportunity the last couple of years uh, to be part of uh, three documentaries. Uh, two of them are already out. Uh, the producer, Jeremy Norrie, he's an independent film producer. It's a bunch of uh, awards under his belt. And uh, the first film that he made it just involves myself. And, and two of my field investigators, my chief investigator, Gino Marigolano, and uh, one of my field investigators, uh, Benjamin Fields. And Benji, uh, he's going for his bachelor's in astronomy right now, and he hopes to go for his doctorate. Um, very, very knowledgeable uh, guy. And uh, so he had us talk about the whole process of what, how we do this. When a UFO report comes in, how we investigated uh, the criteria that we used to uh, delineate exactly what the object is and uh, how we closed the cases. And that was the first film. And it's called MUFON and UFOs, The Proof is Out There. And uh, you can stream that for free on Tubi. It's on uh, the Tubi streaming platform. Uh, and I think that it's upwardly, uh, it's it's like 500,000 views and, and, and going up. So uh, the second uh, documentary that we were in, uh, it's uh, called I Want to Believe Too." And this one, it, uh, it, uh, Gino, my, my uh, chief investigator, was in it. Uh, I'm in it. And they also had uh, other people that were outside of MUFON pitching in. And some very, you know, people like Nick Pope and, and uh, uh, Chuck uh, Oh, God, Chuck, what's his last name? <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it had like a few different ufologists that, that uh, were all different in the way they approach the phenomena, but all very intelligent. And that one, its uh, I want to believe, too, it's almost had a million views so far. Wow. And it's only been out for a couple months. And that you can watch on YouTube. It's available on YouTube uh, I think it's available on Pluto and you can uh, buy both of these films on, on Amazon. So uh, that's my current uh, project. The third documentary will be coming out in two weeks. Uh, apparently it's uh, mostly centered on, on my work with experiencers and the third one is going to be about the high strangeness cases that we work. So that's been very exciting. And uh, I'm going to be speaking at the McMinnville, uh, the McMinnemans UFO Fest uh, at the end of the month here. I think it's the 18th or 19th, I guess. That's Friday.
0: It, the Friday, May 19th.
1: May 19th. Yep. And uh, I'll be speaking at 7 p.m. Uh, but their whole fest, their festival there is is amazing. And and I, I'm on the, the on the same bill with Travis Walton. Uh, My friend and colleague, Sev Tok, who has an amazing story. And uh, Jennifer Stein, who made the film, uh, Travis, and also worked with James Fox on uh, his new film, Moment of Contact. Uh, And Cheryl and Linda Costa, who, uh, again, Cheryl is a a scientist. She's, you know, an amazing computer expert. And uh, and she's been uh, putting out a series of 50 books that documents where, when, and, and how, and, and the latitude, longitude coordinates of all the major UFO sightings in all 50 states of the union. And, uh, Cheryl and, and her, uh, her wife, Linda, will be speaking as well at McMenamin's. So, uh, if you guys, if you, if you're in Oregon or you're near, uh, McMinnville or Portland, Oregon, uh, do come out. It's going to be an amazing event, and um, I'll be there.
0: And you'll also be on the East Coast, right, for the um, the MUFON Symposium?
1: Yes, yes. The MUFON Symposium will be this August, and uh, I am running what uh, we have, two experiencer workshops that, that we present every year, uh, one on Saturday and uh, one on Sunday. And then on Friday, we have a experiencer panel, which will uh, – Kathleen Marden will be there, uh, Sev Talk myself, Dr. George Medich, who runs MUFONS ERT. And uh, we have a couple other people that are going to be on that panel. It's going to be amazing, wonderful, and fantastic. So if you're in the Ohio area, uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, that will be in August.
0: if you're you're in ohio don't miss it you don't want to miss it
1: that's right
0: oh man well that's great to know i just want to thank you so much for uh taking the time out of your day to be with us on ricky's mysteries and the supernatural i i'm just um just so taken back by the story i'm i'm grinning ear to ear (laughs) i just uh (laughs) this is this is me too rick yeah i
1: I really enjoy we have a good rapport i i I really enjoy talking with you and And it was my pleasure to to be on and and, uh, share about my crazy but fulfilling life. And um, if anybody wants to get a hold of me, I'm on social media. I'm on, you know, Instagram, Facebook. I'm, I'm there as just Earl Grey. But you'll see my, you know, it says a s you know state director of Southern California, and it's like most of my pages is all UFO stuff, either UFOs or, or the Beatles, you know, I'm, right. I'm a <laughs> you know Beatles and music fan, so okay. there, there's some of that, but uh, but it's mostly ufology. So, um, or if you have a, if you really want to get a hold of me, uh, you can always email me It's just Earl Gray Anderson at gmail.com. spelled Gray with a e. And uh, there you go.
0: You heard it from the man himself, Earl Gray Anderson, here on uh, Ricky's Mysteries. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure to hit the like and subscribe button. If you're a fan of the show and would like to see me dedicate more time to this than my day job, and you'll also help feed the two ferocious barking cryptids here, please visit the Patreon link. At patreon.com backslash Ricky's Mysteries. You can drop us a line at Ricky's Mysteries at gmail.com if you have anything you'd like to share, and maybe we'll have you on the show. Our photo content is on Instagram, and our podcast can be found on ACAST. Until then, I'm looking forward to seeing you all next time on Ricky's Mysteries and the Supernatural. Now get out there and find the truth.